Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Hello, folks, and welcome back to the Tennis Podcast and the latest edition of Olympics Relived, the 2008 Beijing edition. Are we excited to be in Beijing in 2008, Matt? I mean, Matt's excited to be anywhere and everywhere at the moment because he's still basking in Fulham glow. (laughs) The Beijing Olympics are the first Olympics I watched extensively i vividly remember kelly holmes doing what she did in athens Mm. but for sort of wall-to-wall coverage it was beijing for me and i just remember the venues being really cool the bird's nest the aquatic center looking quite futuristic and yeah i just i lapped it up do you remember the dramas at the opening ceremony Mm -hmm. that's kind of the i I know you're all about iconic moments matt i think that is the iconic moment isn't it from beijing yeah, and well, I would say Usain Bolt is the iconic okay, moment. Okay. Well, in terms of the sp- <laughs> the sport, yes, I'm going non. You talked uh, about venues and so on. Yes, I was okay. Yes, opening ceremony, iconic moment. Yeah, they they also. Do you remember all the room? There were all, there were lots of fears about the pollution in Beijing, and that being you, there's always some sort of controversy drama in the lead up to Olympics, <laughs> some sort of reason that's being peddled in the media and it may be completely legit often is about why the olympics is going to be a massive massive failure uh in rio it was that none of the venues were ready um we didn't get that with london 2012 here Uh, i'm sure in other countries they did but everybody was sort of united in positivity about that olympics but in beijing it was the pollution uh, because of all the the factory i mean everywhere in china but in factories in, in urban areas in china and there were well, first of all, they relocated. I know from personal experience, they relocated a lot of the most polluting factories from Beijing to other parts of the country, in particular to Chengdu, uh, meaning that on my visits to Chengdu around about that time, uh, it felt like my throat was burning every time I stepped outside because the, the pollution and the smog was so bad. In fact, the final of the Champions Tour event, um, 
that I attended in Chengdu had to be uh, halted because nobody could see the ball. Um, but but in Be- in Beijing, I mean the 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 pollution was was far less bad than feared. But they had seeded the clouds in order to make it rain in the lead up to the Olympics to clear the air. They were controlling the weather. Oh, can I come here and do that? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I remember thinking, well, if it's that easy to just make it not rain, why why are we faffing around with you know? Getting wet all the time, yeah. If we can control the weather, sort of Truman Show style. I've had 46 years of drizzle. And I mean, nobody's <laughs> ever told me that we could do anything about it. Do you remember that, though? Suddenly everybody un- acted like they understood the expression seeding the clouds. Like, I'm doing it now. <laughs> no, nobody no, else remembers that? I, I don't that? remember that, no. I, I, I remember it now that you've said it. Um but I am still asking the question as to why I don't have a remote control on my desk that allows me to do it right now because it's overcast and horrible. Well, I think what happens when you see the clouds is it makes it rain then and there. I don't think you can escape the rain. I think you can just control when when it comes. Oh, well, that's no good. I mean, I'm I am absolutely patently speaking beyond my brief. <laughs> so, <laughs> we will be getting emails, don't worry. <laughs> we will be getting emails. Um just before I whiz you through, I know you're all on the edge of your seats, whiz you through what happened at the Beijing Olympics in 2008. I should say uh, that we have merch news, big breaking-ish merch news, because there's really no need to miss tennis anymore because tennis is back. Uh, our predictions are already in tatters. That is the surest sign that live tennis is back, which means that our I Miss Tennis t-shirts are now off the market brackets temporarily the i miss tennis again t-shirts are in in the pipeline for for second wave times in the august dave's looking at me like show some blooming positivity catherine <laughs> um we and you raised £308.75 for the world health organization's covid-19 response fund um by buying those i miss tennis t-shirts so very well done indeed and and thank you for your for your support worry not merch fans because the i miss tennis range has been replaced and possibly even improved by the i love tennis range which which hopefully will be more timeless <laughs> unless yeah, that, no, unless we all go all, unless we all start going off tennis rapidly yeah. well, unless Come tennis on. becomes ultimate tennis <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't say I love ultimate tennis. I does love it? brackets most <laughs> most tennis. The wording is very specific. <laughs> uh, it's available in all sorts of colours, colours that colour colour combos, David, that have never been seen before in the tennis podcast merch range. I know, it's quite you were, something. You were particularly excited yesterday, weren't you, when they were sent through? I was. Uh, and I've been told that they are made from 100% organic cotton. Uh, and, and I can tell you they're very nice and comfy. So, yeah. And they've got the Tennis Podcast logo on the back. So you've got yes. I Love Tennis on the front and our little logo on the back. What more could you want? Uh, nothing. <laughs> nothing is the answer to that, David. So, yeah, snap up an, an I Love Tennis t-shirt. Available um, now. 
links in the show notes. Um, Beijing, Beijing 2008. Let's get on to safer ground, the past. Uh, this is what was happening in Beijing 2008. Michael Phelps was winning eight gold medals in the pool, setting seven world records in the process. Usain Bolt broke records in the 100 metres, the 200 metres and the 4 by 400 the 4 by 100 metre relay. At the opening ceremony, as well as the uh, the drummers, as discussed, it emerged that some fireworks were computer generated and, I remember this actually, a little girl singing, it turned out, was actually miming to the track which had been recorded by a less pretty little girl. No. Yeah. Yeah, they had cast, you know, a, 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 the prettiest little girl they could find and she was miming. It was like that it's, episode it's like of Friends. Smelly Cat. Yeah. Smelly Cat, yeah. Um, the American volleyball team's coach's father-in-law, uh, oh dear, was murdered by a deranged Chinese person while visiting a local tourist spot. I don't remember that at all, but that's awful. Um, despite military conflict breaking out between Russia and Georgia during the games, two pistol shooters, N- Natalia Padarina of Russia and Nino Sulukvadze of Georgia, hugged on the podium as they received silver and bronze medals. The Lopez family won a trio of medals. Elder brother Stephen, the bronze in the 80 kilogram taekwondo, Mark with the silver in the 68 kilogram taekwondo and sister diana in the women's 57 kilogram what a range of sizes of people um in the 200 meters the silver and bronze medalists Chirandi martina and wallace spearman were both disqualified for lane infringements cuban taekwondo competitor angel matos was banned from all competitions for life after overrunning injury timeout led to his disqualification. On hearing this, he stood up and kicked the referee in the face. Um, and Matthew yeah, and I do remember uh, that. David, stand by for this one. Do you remember our mate Matthew Emmons from the previous episode? Rings a bell. He's the one that uh, was going to win gold until he accidentally shot his opponent's target in the last round, but it was fine because while, uh, while on the piss uh, drowning his sorrows, he met his future wife. Yes. Well, in Beijing, he was again leading with only a single shot between him and the go- and the gold when his <laughs> when his gun went off unexpectedly. Who did he marry this time? <laughs> um, and he seemingly didn't didn't win gold then either. But he oh already had God. the white. He already got the girl. So who so cares? None of it matters. Apparently. Right. Um, Why was he so look- careless with his gun? <laughs> No, learn from your mistakes, Matthew. I hope there's a Matthew Emmons update for the London 2012 Olympics. On a serious note, it is so Olympics, though, isn't it, Catherine? I was watching back your interview the other day with Elise Christie at the Winter Olympics, who'd Mm. had such a great career, so many wins on all sorts of levels. And then when the Olympics came, it... Two different Olympic Olympiads, it just didn't happen for it, and and on several occasions, and and you you do see that with certain athletes, don't you? That that when it comes to the one that they want the most, and it is the Olympics, they can often find it hard to get over the line. Whether it's through luck, whether it's through nerves, whether it's just inspirational performances from somebody else. 
Mm, it's too much, the pressure of it being possibly a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, certainly once in every four years. I mean, what are the... Ch- if you if you enter an Olympics in feeling like you're, you're at the absolute physical peak, that's, that's almost certainly never going to happen again, is it? Peak, <laughs> peaking once every four... I mean, it's just... Yeah, the pressure is unimaginable, really. And I think it's why it's so devastating when, like like in this year, an Olympics has to be postponed even a year. You know, so many athletes are peaking at the end of a four-year cycle to have to, to have to go through it all again or maybe even retire. Who knows? But just changing the Olympics by one year for so many athletes makes such a big difference. Let, and tennis players probably are the least affected in that. Um, but it's it's the athletes who, who yeah, who just peak in these four-year cycles. It's um, I can't imagine the pressure of preparing four years for something and having one day to deliver it. I mean, what if, you know, I would, I would just be worried about waking up with some sort of terrible migraine or yeah. getting a stomach bug or something just to completely wipe out so much preparation. Yeah, what if you just get a dodgy night's sleep the mm. night before or eat something eat something dodgy or I mean it's just yeah. Anyway, that's what makes the the joy of of winning all the sweeter, isn't it? You can't have the the jeopardy. You can't have the joy without the jeopardy. Um, Plus it's, it's pop the... that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Come into a tennis podcast store near you. Um Plus, I, I, it's the the opposite to so many of the other stories that we've charted already of people who've had good careers but not great careers, but then they've had the Olympics, whether it's mm. Nicholas Massu, whether it's um, you know Monica Puig, who we'll come on to in a future edition of this show. There are so many that their whole careers in their minds – or, or certainly in the minds of many of their, their compatriots and their fans following back home, will define what they achieved by those moments. And, and yeah, it, it can go both ways. Yeah, absolutely. In the tennis in Beijing, 17 of the top 20 men and 18 of the top 20 women were in attendance. The women's singles event was very notable for being one of only two Olympiads and the first since 1908 in which all tennis medalists were from the same country. Elena Dementieva won gold, Denara Safina won silver, and Vera Zvonareva won bronze, which is which is just extraordinary. Uh, Serena and Venus Williams won their second doubles gold medal together. Um, they'd both lost in the quarterfinal stages of the singles. And, of course, Rafael Nadal won singles gold and became world number one which ended Roger Federer's streak of 237 consecutive weeks on top. Consolation for Federer, though, he and Stan Wawrinka won doubles gold. They beat Asplin and Johansson of Sweden in the gold medal match, and they'd also beaten the Bryan brothers in the semi-finals. So he did get a gold, Federer, but it was certainly one that got away from him in the singles, and we'll be hearing from the, the man that took it away from him, James Blake, uh, in, in a few minutes, in, in what James Blake describes as the, the best moment of his career, beating, mm. beating Roger Federer in, uh, in 08. There's some moments there that I must admit had, I'd forgotten. I remember uh, uh, the Russian 
trio winning all the singles medals. I remember Serena and Venus winning the the gold and the doubles. I'd, t- I'd completely forgotten the line about Nadal breaking the number one streak with that win. But of course, it came on the back of him finally winning Wimbledon. Um, it was just in that rich period where he where he won the French Open, Wimbledon, and and then backed it up as well with this. And yeah, I mean he he'd, he had been number two as well. I think Matt throughout so much of that number one reign. Oh, absolutely. He was yeah, he was the perennial number two, just just behind Federer. But he he gradually closed that gap, and I think the defining moment of him closing that gap is obviously the Wimbledon final in two thousand and eight. That was kind of changing of the guard moment and then it was secured just a bit later but this is I think the the best stretch of Nadal's career so he won he won Hamburg he won the French Open he won Queens he won Wimbledon he won Canada he lost to Djokovic in Cincinnati and then he won the Olympics and if you bring it forward a little bit further he won the Australian Open so he won four of the five major titles in a kind of eight or nine month stretch there um and he was obviously beaten by Andy Murray in the in the US Open just following this Olympics denying denying everyone the uh what was it the grapple in the apple as we as we heard Don King the promoter on a on a podcast a couple of months ago um but yeah I mean Agassi and and Nadal the only the only men to have won um all four slams and and an Olympic gold. Um, and it's kind of... Nadal's victories ushered in this big four dominance of the Olympics. It's, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about some unexpected winners. But obviously since this, since this Nadal victory, the big four have, have taken over. It really... Just going back to the 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 women's for a moment because interview wise we'll be we'll be focusing on the men's we've we've got Fernando Gonzalez who played in the the gold medal match and and James Blake who who beat Roger Federer and uh, played a big part in the memorable moments of the the Beijing 2008 tennis event shall we say um, but just going back to the the women's it really it really stuck with me David what you said about Tommy Haas the other day what would what would which Olympics would that have been? The 2000 Olympics, mm-hmm. wasn't it? The um, in Sydney, that he had a great career. He was number two in the world. He never had a moment, mm. uh, and I'd never really thought. Of, I'd never taken the time to reflect on Tommy Haas's career, but that is so so true. Trying to pick out a, a, a big moment for Tommy Haas is quite difficult, and Elena Dementieva could have could have been somebody that fit into the same category. I know she she played Grand Slam finals, but you know, we don't necessarily need to relive the 2004 French Open final again. I'm sure she doesn't either. And but she had this moment. She had this moment in Beijing and I'm I'm so pleased that she did. And I was reading some quotes from her which blew my mind a little bit actually. I've always thought of Elena Dementieva as as you said, an a near miss player, someone who would probably be in that category of best player, never to have won a Grand Slam title. Well, the quotes she gave after winning this Olympic gold make me think 
that actually we don't need to consider her a near miss player. We need to consider her as someone who achieved the thing she set out to achieve. Have a, just have a listen to this. So the question is, do you think the monkey is off your back? You've threatened with big titles and now you've finally got one. And she says, you know, the journalists, they're asking me all the time, what is the most important for me, the Grand Slam or the Olympic Games? Obviously, it's the Olympic Games. They're so much more important to me. I cannot even compare Grand Slam and Olympic Games because it's just so much bigger. This is a dream for every athlete just to be here. To be an Olympic champion is the top of my career. From the beginning of the year, I was thinking about the Olympics. I decided only to play singles and not doubles. I wanted to save my energy. And then someone said, do you think you'll be able to find another goal in your career? And she said, oh, it's a good question because I'm not sure I'm going to be able to play another Olympic Games. This was the biggest goal in my career. Um, There are a lot of things that I can achieve by winning a Grand Slam, becoming number one, but nothing will ever compare to winning an Olympic gold. Nothing. Go on, Elena. Yeah. She is is walking around her apartment (laughs) wearing that medal, isn't she? Right now. <laughs> right now. That's what it sounds like to me. I interviewed her not that long after that. I can't remember whether it was the the US Open or whether it was the Australian Open, but but I had opportunity to interview her for BBC Radio. And, I, and it's just inevitably a, a, a question that comes up about the Olympics. And her face just lit up in a way that is in line with those quotes that you just read out. I mean, I don't recall her, what she said as as much as just the look in her in her eyes and on her face that nothing else matters now. It doesn't matter what else I do, what else I've not done, the near misses. Yeah, she would have liked to have achieved more. I mean, she was one of those players that was an absolutely great player who would have been even better with a good serve, mm. who, who she just didn't have... She had a real Achilles heel heel with that second serve and a lot of double faults. But from the baseline, she was probably as good as anybody in the world at any time in her career. And I just love the fact that she goes to sleep at night is the sense not worrying about the things she didn't achieve because she got that gold medal. Oh, I feel warm inside. (laughs) It's quite something, the, the three Russians being on the podium. I mean, that happens... Happens in other sports all the time. I mean, it's sort of par for the course in figure skating, but for that for that to have happened in Russia in 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 tennis, sorry. I mean, we talked about it with that again, uh, <laughs> sort of reliving the worst Grand Slam final ever. That two thousand and four French Open final between Miskina and Dementieva, but that was the start of Russian dominance, wasn't it? In the women's event, when we looked into that Grand Slam final, it, it turned out that that was it. Three of the four slams that year were won by by Russian players yet because Nets of a winning uh the US Open uh I over winning Wimbledon and Miskina winning the French Open yeah yeah and I think six of the the women's top 10 by the end of that year were were Russian players so it's it, I don't know that that trio of Russians on the podium feels like a real sort of iconic marker of the the ushering in during the noughties of of Russian dominance in in women's tennis and especially when you consider that Sharapova and Kuznetsova, I think, were possibly ranked even higher than those three Russians. Um, and I think Sharapova was injured and had had, had, had to pull out of the games, I think. Um, but yeah, there was just so many of them. And I think this game's 
this game's generally is a is an interesting one in terms of power shifts in tennis obviously from a russian perspective but also from a chinese perspective because for so long china was this dormant sleeping international giant you know which didn't really have much of an impact on tennis and then you get to beijing and i think it's it's the clearest example of a games boosting a sport and boosting tennis in a way i mean there were there are lines that uh, the games helped fuel a four billion us dollar investment in tennis in china and the number of players now is is estimated about 14 million compared to it being 1 million in 1988 and 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 the games really helped push that and i think zheng ji had just reached the wimbledon semi-final so there was some sort of national hope around her li na ended up coming fourth in this games and then obviously went on to have this career and put tennis in the mainstream in china and be this this star figure this this person to get behind that chinese tennis had never had and now obviously you, okay they maybe haven't quite had the players that you might expect them to have but Chinese influence is so strong in tennis in terms of the ITF Junior Tour. So many of those events are in China. It's the backbone of the WTA Tour, as we know, with their investment in it. And I just think it's, I think you can point to the Beijing Olympics as as kind of the start of all that. Mm, it wasn't, it was, it was treated with quite a lot of reverence, as I recall, the, the tennis event at that Olympics. Sometimes Olympics don't quite know what to do with tennis. Sometimes by accident, you know, the the venue might be in a completely different place to to the main Olympic Park, say. So it just sort of naturally ends up feeling like a bit of a an, a, an add on. Um, you know, there is, you know, we've we, we've it's come up sporadically, hasn't it? The the slightly awkward relationship of tennis with with the Olympics. I think it's evolved, and everyone's become more comfortable with it as it's gone along but it certainly doesn't you know sit as perfectly within the olympics as as track and field does you know everyone knows track and field's place in the olympics it is it is the centerpiece you know that the main olympic park is where that is going to be held all the athletes will be in the athletes village it's all just a little bit more fuzzy with tennis and and i i definitely remember at beijing it getting really prominent coverage uh on i mean certainly in the uk on the bbc that was covering it and it was just just felt like it was held up in in quite a lot of reverence and really celebrated as an olympic sport which is in line with the fact that china appears to have a different approach and attitude towards the things to celebrate within tennis to to perhaps what we typically understand is the kind of order of things. For instance, doubles is a massive deal in China mm. in terms of the events that you watch and commentate on. The the interest levels in doubles seem to be just as high, if not higher, a lot of the time than than in the singles. Um, and you know, it's quite. I find that quite refreshing, really, just to take a completely different look at an approach to things. And those scenes of Federer and Vavrinka winning doubles gold uh, at that Olympics are some of my favourite scenes from from tennis some of my favorite celebration tennis scenes ever they are iconic hands on (laughs) the rinker because he was so on fire (laughs) yes that do you think that was pre-planned no 
like I, I, I mean, footballers' goal celebrations. I, I mean, I can imagine that Federer might have had it in his mind, but but I think he, um, I, I think I, I think he was absolutely overwhelmed with happiness to finally have a gold medal uh, at the Olympic Games, and also I think he. In his own way, he, I mean, I know Stan Wawrinka reveres Federer, but I think that there is a similar feeling the other way around for this ability to hit a hot streak that Wawrinka has. And I think that Federer turns to this guy and looks at him and thinks, you know, you can carry me as well. And, and, I, and, and he loves that. He loves the fact that this guy can just shoulder. He's got broad enough shoulders to just carry the load uh, occasionally when maybe it's not happening for Federer. Mm, I think that was probably the moment that it really clicked for Federer that Wawrinka could be more not, well, kind of a partner for him in a way, and, oh, and, right. and kind of someone mm. that they could, you know, that they could go on and win the Davis Cup together. For example, I, I meant I meant to say in the in the previous uh, podcast, but I didn't want to put you on the spot, so I'm just going to put you on the spot now. The, the when you mentioned Federer losing in singles and doubles on the same day in Athens, who was his partner in 04? Oh no! Is it possibly? Is it Allegro? Is it Eve? Eve Allegro? Ooh. Might well have been. I remember him pretty well. They did play doubles together. Let's let's go with him. Okay. <laughs> And let's possibly edit this bit out. <laughs> where do you think? I mean, it's a, it's the kind of the big question with Federer. Where where does that Olympic gold in doubles sit for him? Does he does he have an uneasy relationship with it in a way? Kind of years on, we see the joy in that moment, and I think I honestly believe in that moment, winning a singles gold or a doubles gold doesn't actually matter that much in the moment in terms of the joy and adding to switzerland's medal count as it's as the as his career has progressed and he's won basically everything else in singles that there is to win not having the singles gold has obviously become this this little hole in his cv and something something to fulfill and i feel like over the course of his career he would have valued that singles gold maybe more than his doubles gold now i don't know i'm purely speculating yeah i think it it's a real test of exactly how sort of dead-eyed ambitious he is and how records focused he is because i agree with you i think in terms of a moment and joy and something experiential i honestly it doesn't look to me like anything exceeds that that gold medal winning moment and the fact that it was shared with somebody else and and how unique that makes it possibly elevated the 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 joy he experienced mm. in that moment however i don't think an olympic doubles gold counts for that much in terms of history and the record books when we're totting up if they do all finish on 21 so to say or 20 whatever i i don't think that that olympics doubles golds counts for for very much mm. in the final tally so if 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 it if it if that is the priority i think it probably probably switch it up but if it was if it was just about sort of accumulating moments and joy i'm not sure that olympic moment could be rivaled for his him. perception of reality is not the same as ours though and <laughs> he he views that gold as just as much because that's the I think that in his own mind 
I, I think he genuinely believes that in terms of just the joy. But I think he's also able to just bend things to his will in terms of how he looks at them and life's better for him as a result. I don't think he worries about the sure, history. But I do also think he as they all do, perhaps Nadal the the least, or definitely Nadal the least, I think. But he wants to be unanimously viewed as as the greatest. Yeah, no, he does. And look, from my perspective, definitely it is an omission, and it is for Djokovic at the moment. And I think that they absolutely want to try to fill those holes in their CV. I mean, you saw the tears of Djokovic when when, when he came up short and uh, at the Olympics, and you see the glee in, in the face of Nadal when he won that. To me, that's a big win for Nadal, the fact that he has that Olympic gold. Huge. Singles yeah. gold. It really well, does well, feel okay, big. Okay, then, would he swap it? Would he swap the, the doubles gold for, the, for a singles gold? Yeah. Yeah, I think he would. I think he would. But Sorry, Stan. <laughs> well, Stan, Stan just, Lee, but, as he called him at the time, I was reading in the press conference. Stan Lee. He wouldn't admit Whoa. to it. I'm sure he wouldn't admit to it. But I think, I think if you, I think p- before the event, certainly if you asked him which one he wanted to win, uh, most, of course, he would yeah. Win mm. But it's of course. But once you've actually had that moment and experienced it, and and mock uh, lit a fire over Stanford Rinker's belly, it's it's. <laughs> It's different, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Do, do I you think, think so. it's? You think he'd swap it? Yeah, I think he would. Mm. Do you think he'd swap it just for having another chance at that match against James Blake? No, no. There's too still too many unknowns, mm. and you've still got potentially Rafael Nadal yeah. to get through. Nadal's mm. at that in that time in his career, Nadal is too big of an obstacle. That that win for James Blake over over Roger Federer in that Olympics was his one and only victory over Federer in in his whole career in in ten meetings, and that is why he holds it so so dear. Does James Blake? He didn't he didn't go on to win a medal, Blake, and we'll we'll <laughs> we'll hear about all the reasons why in full. But first, let's let's hear about. James Blake's journey at that Olympics and of course touching upon that victory over Roger Federer his James Blake I have such fond memories of that Olympics it was my only Olympics but I, I was so excited to be there and um, I remember starting out the USDA had gotten us a hotel uh, outside of the Olympic Village and I stayed there the first night and I remember thinking this doesn't this doesn't feel right because it, it when it was when you're outside the village we went into practice and then we came back to the hotel and it was just some of the guys on the team and uh, some of the women from the team and that was it. So I was like, this feels like a normal event where I'm just going from the hotel to the courts and I, I asked them, can I please just, I don't, know, I don't know how much space there's left, but can I please stay in the village? I want to be there. I want to get that feeling. Even if it's not perfect for my preparation, I wanted to get that, um, that Olympic feel. So we just stayed at the hotel for one night and then a bunch of the team went in. So I ended up staying in the, we had, it's basically like dorm rooms in the village. And we had the dorm room with uh, Sam Query and Ravi Ginepri. And we had a, um, so we had, and the Bryans came in as well, uh, Mike and Bob. So that was such a great feeling. And then I remember being a little, uh, um, a little unsure the first time I stepped out there because it's Olympics. It was just, it felt different. And you're eating in the dining hall, you're, um, with all these other athletes that don't, most of them may not care about tennis. They're so focused on their sport. Some do, and you get to to mingle with a lot of other um, amazing athletes that you're watching on TV. So 
it was a really amazing experience, pretty unique for me. Um, and then to, to play the way I played um, was great. Uh, I think I beat uh, her body and then the, the win over um, Fed, obviously for me, was my biggest moment in my career individually because he's still, in my opinion, the greatest of all time. That may change based on all the results coming up, but um, he was the person that I could not beat. I think he had beaten me by that point eight or nine times and um i just played an unbelievable match for me uh, i'm sure he wasn't at his best because it seemed like when he was at his best he, he kind of uh toyed with me but it was um it was a pretty incredible experience for me and then right after to have the the dream team call me uh and say congratulations because uh darren williams's mom was sitting there watching and so she told the the, the nba guys and they all called to say congratulations i got back to my room there are signs all over the door saying congratulations. And it just felt different because normally if you win that match in say Cincinnati or Queens or, um, or any other normal event throughout the year, you go home and you've got your buddies calling you, you've got your, um, you've got your coach and your family and that's it. Now I've got so many people that wouldn't have been watching tennis or wouldn't have cared about any other result that are making signs for me. And, go USA and cheering for me. And that was a, uh, that was a pretty amazing feeling. And then to turn around the next day and have to play Fernando Gonzalez and lose after holding match points in a, a pretty, pretty long and, and grueling match was, uh, was a brutal feeling. Um, but then, and then to turn around and actually play the next day, it's another very unique experience. Most times, every other event you're at, you lose and you go on to the next week. But I lost at night, um, and then have to come back the next day and play Novak Djokovic uh, for the bronze medal, which is a, a pretty tough task. And he handled it very well after he lost to Rafa the same day. But it was uh, it was a whirlwind, you know, that whole that whole week. And it was trying to take in all the Olympic experience along with playing some of my best tennis, um, and then having just the emotional roller coaster. That whole um, Olympic Village thing really fascinates me. I read a, an account from Jim Courier of his experience at the 92 Olympics in Barcelona. He insisted that, uh, as well on staying in the Olympic Village. And he said he he checked in with, with Pete Sampras and Pete lasted one night in the village <laughs> before, uh, yeah. before checking into a hotel. Was there like, yeah. did, did all of your teammates want to go with you? Or is there kind of like a curiosity about that? Like, why would you want to stay in kind of dorm rooms rather than in the hotel yeah i think um i don't remember exactly but i'm pretty sure that we all uh moved into the village i think uh what happened was maybe the, the bryans may have kept their room at the hotel and would go back there <laughs> once in a while like every three or four nights just to i don't know if they felt like they'd get a better night's sleep there or something but um i feel like everyone wanted to be in the village and um I if I could do it over again or if I was if I was playing the Olympics tomorrow I would want to stay in the village cuz it's just we play 20 to 30 events throughout the year so and we have hopefully 10 to 15 years of our career so we play plenty of events where we're at the hotel and then going to the courts and we have that feel um most people if they're lucky get one or two maybe three Olympics in their whole career so for me I'd like those to feel special and uh, to mingle with the other athletes. Um, I'm still in touch with, with one or, or two of the athletes there. The experiences I had were, um, were pretty amazing. So I wouldn't have traded that for, for a little bit better food or a little bit better night's sleep or, or what I could have gotten at the hotel with the, a little bit more of the, the creature comforts. Did you get the chance to watch any other sports? 
I did a little bit. I watched, so um, Yarko Niemann's wife uh, was at those Olympics as well, playing uh, badminton. So we went and watched her. I went with Yarko and watched her. Um, I went to the swimming one day. That was um, one of the many Olympics where Michael Phelps was dominant. So we went and watched that. Um, so yeah, I got to see a little bit, a little bit of that. And then the other stuff that was interesting is I still remember watching a lot of them on. We just had basically like in like watching in the locker room when you're watching the tennis. You've got just the the live feed going into your your room. And so I remember watching some of the swimming um, in my room just with no sound on and how cool it was to just see the emotions and not have the commentary as a commentator. Now I, I probably shouldn't say this, but it was pretty amazing to feel the electricity without even having anything going on or without really knowing exactly what was going on. I remember watching um, when that Michael Phelps uh, relay team won by like, I don't even know, 0.2 of a second and the emotion on the, uh, on their faces and Phelps slapping the water and going crazy. Um, that was, uh, I mean, it was a cool moment to know that I was right there um, and basically watching it on the 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 live feed, um, not that far away from where it was actually going on. That that win over Federer in the in the quarterfinals, uh, your your one victory over Federer, I think, in in eleven matches um, that you right. played. Is it was it coincidence that it came there at that event, or was there something about it being in the Olympics that that made you feel different? on the court well uh, well um you know i'd like to say it, it was it was just that feeling and overwhelming support of the usa but it was just um it was just really a, a, a good day for me i do feel like i i tended to play maybe a little bit more focused when i had the the usa on my chest but um i, I really think i just kind of put it put it together that day and, and played some of my best tennis um against him and um no, it, to me, it was it was more special to me because it was a moment where, um, you know, Rogers had every accomplishment possible in his career, um, with the exception of a gold medal in singles in in the Olympics. So I know it was a time when he was really focused and he really wanted to win that as well. You saw that with the fact that he still won the doubles there. He was he was intent on winning, and so that makes me feel probably even more special that it wasn't, um, you know, a first round of a 250 um, where he may not have had the same motivation, even though, you know, with the great champions like Roger and uh, Rafa and Novak, that they don't really take a day off no matter what. They'll only play an event if they feel like they're going to win it. But to do it in the Olympics um, for me was, was more special um, because, you know, it's an event he gets excited for and it's an event he wants to win. Uh, because if you're at that level and you're playing the Olympics, you're playing for the gold medal. You're not playing just to be there and get the experience. That um that semifinal match against Gonzalez, which is <laughs> must be a huge one mentally, because you're playing for a, a guaranteed a guaranteed medal um, in that yeah. one. Um, it kind of yeah. had every every flavor of drama that you can have <laughs> in a tennis yeah. match. Kind of kind of featured in that one and there yeah. was you know this hugely controversial incident at a at a very crucial moment in the third set um yeah. which you were very outspoken about at the time gonzalez yeah. touching touching the ball with his racket and, and looking you and the umpire straight in the eye and, and denying that that happened how yeah. how vivid is that to you 12 years on oh, i remember that one very well um uh i, I mean i, I put it First, I put it on myself because, like you said, there was every version of drama, and I, I had Love Forty on his serve, and 
Um, I had a forehand at that point on the love 40 point to, to win the match and never would have been any controversy if I had, if I had executed that, but he came back and I give him a ton of credit because then he served two unreturnable serves after that and got himself back into it. And then we went to, um, to the, the extended third set. And when that happened, you know, to me, I was, I was disappointed. Uh, uh, immediately I was just angry because I couldn't believe that would happen. And, um, then just so disappointed that that would happen in the Olympics because like I said, it did feel different. And if that happened at the U S open or Wimbledon or, um, any other normal tour event, it's one thing you play to win at all of those you're playing for points, you're playing for money. Um, you're playing for your ranking, everything else. Um, but the Olympics is supposed to have been for sportsmanship. It's supposed to bring camaraderie. It's supposed to be, um, unity among countries, among nations that are, that may not have the same political beliefs or something, but it's just, it's sports and it's supposed to be at its purest and at its purest, our sport should be one that's honorable where, you know, you can call something on yourself. Um, and that one is unfair to me. That was, that's, um, inexcusable because every player knows if you touch the ball, you know, you touched it. And that one on video, everyone can see clearly. I can see clearly. I was across the net. Everyone could see clearly, except obviously the umpire, um, that it touched his racket and, um, to not say, yeah. And, and we gave him every chance possible. <laughs> the umpire, I looked at him. I looked at him. I waited a long time to make sure he realized what he was doing. And he, and he still was, was okay with that. That that's what was really disappointing to me because if that had happened in, like I said, if that had happened in, uh, in the U S open, I would have, you know, probably argued with the umpire, moved on, and never even thought twice about it. But the Olympics, like I said, it felt so different. And so that was that was really disappointing for me. Have you ever spoken about it since? Has he ever admitted it? No, no. We've uh, probably barely spoken since then. <laughs> so that is James Blake on a hugely controversial and defining moment uh, in that match and in in his Olympics that year. Let's hear now from from Fernando Gonzalez on on the same incident. Well, it's been a long time after this. And uh, uh, I mean, I, start to, I started competing that Olympic, not playing my best tennis, and I get to the semifinal. And, uh, you know, we, it was really hot match with Blake. And I say, I mean, in, in that point, well, in the second set, I hit him. I mean, he was he was really close to the to the net, and I went to the body and I hit him. I say I'm sorry, and he was really pissed. He said a few uh, things on the changeover, not on the really good terms. And then in the third set, um, I did a body really not not good, and he came into my body and he laughed, you know. And then I touched the ball. I went back and he was like, I mean, he was completely out of him, you know. And, uh, and in the time that uh, maybe it's not the best fair play, but it's part of the game when you, when you hit to the body. And I did it with other players and uh, always don't have any problem with that. And after, uh, of course, I saw that he tried to hit me and he looked at me and he laughed and I was and I went uh, back to the court really really pissed and um, and the umpire called the ball out so I said I mean you tried to hit me 
well, I hit you. You you wasn't really good bad terms. Now you try to hit me, and the umpire give me the point. Okay, I'll say I don't I don't I don't touch the ball, but I did. I mean, it's part it's part of the game, you know. Some sometimes uh, um, football players or basketball players. I mean, the, the the umpires make mistakes, but it wasn't the point, you know. I did it uh, because, of course, I say I didn't touch the ball because I don't want to be a polemic. And and also, he tried to hit me. Okay, I mean, uh, it was a chance. I took it, you know. I, I didn't want to take the advantage. I just, uh, umpire gave it to me and I took it, you know. And I'm, I'm not the first one. I'm not the last one. Mm. Who did that? Yeah, maybe if I was playing, uh, I mean, if everything was okay and doing the match, maybe. But you know, sometimes, uh, first time I was in the tour when I when I play with uh, with friends. I mean, listen, uh, we play with the umpire if he make a mistake make a mistake I mean don't we don't talk to each other you know because every time they, they're going to make a maybe mistake and in tennis you play I don't know 300 points and of course there is a, some points really important but this one was 0-0 zero, zero of course was in the third set but uh, was 0-0 zero, zero, and we play I don't know 300 points and, and I, I already was saving a few match points well, he's right. He's not the first and he's won't be the last to have done something like that. I'm sure there's plenty of other players that in the same position as him would have would have acted the same. But equally, that doesn't make it right, does it? Where where do you both come down on this one? Well, I sensed that and I didn't follow it up and I wish I had. I sensed that he regretted it in terms of you know, now that he's calmed down and now that years have gone, I mean, 12 years have gone by or whatever it is. Um, but in the heat of the moment, we've seen what happens to players. And the, as he, in, her, in his words, it was a hot match. And, and I just feel like pe- people do things under stress like that and with the stakes that high that maybe they wouldn't normally do. So I, I cut him a bit of slack on that. But, I mean, look, he... he he kind of did cheat um, because he did let he let it go, and that does happen all the time. Um, you can choose to to fall back on the umpire. I've heard a lot of ex players say, "Look, if I call that point on myself, and th- and then they say, oh, it evens up because I'll call one on myself as well.' But you call on call it on yourself at a completely different time in a match when it the stakes are not as high. Is is that fair as well? So a lot of players just think, "Well, I'll just play." to what the umpire says but I really do get James Blake's point of view as well and and I can, you can feel and hear the hurt in his voice and and isn't it sad that they they basically have no relationship now and um and, and have never managed to put that behind them I wonder if they ever will and I suppose James Blake's riposte to to the case you've just made there is that this the stakes of that match actually made it more important to to behave honourably. He's saying that he would have been able to forgive it more had it been a match at another tournament or even at a at a Grand Slam tournament. It was the fact that it was the Olympics and you were playing for your country and that's what was on the line that that made that incident and and that behaviour more unforgivable in his eyes. 
Mm, yeah, I thought that was an, an an interesting point and one I hadn't thought of actually that that Blake made. I was getting major David Nalbandian vibes from uh, from Fernando Gonzalez, South American accent, talking about making a mistake. It was all very uh, Queens <laughs> 2012. Um, and David doesn't talk about of, Queens 2012, no, Matt. It, a really dark looks come <laughs> over his face. I'm going to move on very quickly. Um, it sounds to me he's, he's trying to justify it in his in his mind that you know Blake had tried to hit the ball at him before so that there was already this kind of tension between them so why therefore do I have to own up to hitting the ball and I I don't really like that logic to be honest that that doesn't make a lot of sense to me I think he's kind of talking about it as though Blake shouldn't be annoyed about it because it was love all in the game. Well, then all the more reason to just admit that you did it if it if it wasn't for you that important. You know, if he doesn't think that it's important enough for Blake to get cross about, then it's not important enough for him to kind of have to hide the fact that he did hit the ball. Um, and, you know, we've all played tennis. You know when you've hit the ball. You know when it's touched your racket. It's not, it's not a kind of innocent mistake and he genuinely wasn't sure i mean and the replays are pretty pretty conclusive it's it's not even just a graze um what we don't know though is what we would do in his position sure and i accept that you've no idea what you would do in that position david i'd like to think that i would call it on myself but do i know that for sure i've never been in that position i have never been in that position so i'd like to think i would mm. but i can't always say that I've behaved as I would like to behave when I've been in severe stress in my life. I, I can tell you that. And um, I don't know, maybe you, maybe you are, can be absolutely categoric. What do you think? Of course I can't be categoric. Of course not. Anything speculative, you can't be categoric. I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure I w- would own up to it just because I'd be – crippled by guilt and crippled by the knowledge of being found out <laughs> and, yes. and and exposed and told off afterwards um n- not necessarily i mean i'd like to think that it would all be out of a sense of honor and everything mm. and I- i'm sure that would be a factor but in the age of replay and everything fear I would definitely go back to it and 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 redress it if i did in the moment take the point i would definitely post occurrence have a guilty conscience and go back and say actually I, I shouldn't have done that i got that wrong but i just feel like in the and i and i kind of feel like he probably does feel like that and i wish i'd pushed him on it but anyway you know in the heat of the moment i just it's easier to say what you would do and i'm just and i reckon there's a lot of players who would have done what he did i think that's true certainly um yeah but that still doesn't make it right no. Um understandable isn't isn't right. Um I asked James Blake then uh w- whether he thinks that affected him for the for the bronze medal match that he ended up having to play against against Novak Djokovic and, and this is what he had to say. I think the loss affected me. Maybe not so much that controversy. It was just the I take losses or I used to take losses pretty hard. Um, and so it was sort of my routine when I, when I did lose a match, I would probably be replaying it in my head quite a bit and not sleeping that well that night. Um, but most times throughout the year on tour, um, 
you get back up, you get on a plane, you go to the next event and you, you've got time to recover and, and regroup. And I was usually pretty good the next day at regrouping, but that night was tough. So, um, for that to have happened, and it's pretty easy for me to then replay the, that, um, all night instead of getting a good night's sleep. So that was, uh, that was probably, and by that point, almost all the guys, um, had left. Uh, I believe Sam Query had already left. Um, Robbie had already left. Um, so it was, I was there kind of in the dorm on my own. And, uh, so that means I'm just going <laughs> to let things simmer in my head all night. And so I think the fact that I, I lost and then had to come back the next day and play, that was definitely, um, not my best preparation, but I, I would guess Novak being such a great competitor as well was feeling, uh, similar thoughts when he, after he lost to, to Rafa in the semis. So it was um, it was tough, but now the controversy didn't have uh, anything to do with the result the next day. Novak playing great is what had to do. <laughs> Novak playing great, and me, uh, you know, I, I didn't sleep as well, but that's uh, I don't think that would have changed the result. Novak was was playing great at that time. It's kind of, kind of the downside to the Olympic Village experience that we've all been bigging up vicariously over the last few episodes. It's very different being in a hotel room on your own to having just lost, to being in an empty dorm room on your own. There's something really haunting about that image. When everybody's left town. Yeah. And, and, and actually, it's, it's a little microcosm of Grand Slam tennis in general and this festival that you feel at the start of it. And at the end, when the stakes are so high and you've got this Grand Slam championship match on the line in men's and, sing and women's singles, and you've, you've got four players left in this enormous players' lounge with a couple of members of entourages, a place that have been alive with activity. And, and there is something quite melancholy about those situations and I, I can really relate to what Blake is saying there about, about how he struggled to, to to get over it and come back the next day and just how programmed tennis players are to what they do after a defeat is not play another match mm. I mean that literally I mean okay it happens in round robin and we always talk about how weird round robin is it literally never happens in a regular tour event that you will play another match after you've lost not only just any old other match a match for an olympic medal and um I just I just kind of have this image of of the Blake Djokovic bronze medal match being two guys trying to get over the trauma of their semi-final losses because I don't know whether you remember but the way the Nadal Djokovic semi-final finished it was kind of the invention of the Djoko smash that people talk about now where I think it's I think it's 5-4 in the third set and Djokovic is serving to stay in the match and he has the simplest smash on top of the net that he could possibly wish for and he and he misses the court by absolutely miles and Nadal and Nadal wins the match and so you've got Blake who's just finished his semi-final with this controversial moment you've got Djokovic who's just finished having completely botched his chances on the simplest of smashes then having to meet and play one of you know at that point certainly one of the biggest matches of Blake's career at that point one of the biggest matches of Djokovic's career and as he's as Blake says there it's all about who can who can deal with that experience better and Djokovic was the one who managed it but um yeah it's a really it's a really interesting 
dynamic that bronze medal match in tennis i'm normally totally against the third fourth place playoff but that one in tennis for the bronze medal at the olympics is uh, so so interesting because of the way they have to bounce back from a loss yeah it's those it's the semi-final matches and the bronze medal matches that fascinate me the most because i think it was marty fish in our previous episode that said he'd have rather lost first round than then mm. come forth, then then lost a semi final, and and then lost the bronze medal match, um, which is interesting because you'd never say that about a Grand Slam, would you? You'd never say I'd rather have lost first round mm. than lost in the quarterfinals, um, and yeah, that just I just keep coming back to that thing of winning a bronze and losing a silver. Um, there's just so many things about it that are different to normal tennis, and they have. They have no time to prepare and adjust or reflect on any of it. It's just this one week sandwiched mm. into the existing tennis calendar. The, the tennis calendar makes very few concessions for the Olympics. So every, almost everything about it is completely different feeling, but they just have to sort of throw themselves into it like... <laughs> like a, a baptism of fire it's okay we're doing this now it's all completely different you've just lost a match but you have to play tomorrow for a bronze medal one of the biggest matches of your life and then after that you're flying to Cincinnati and normal service is, is resumed it's just it must just feel like such an out of body experience somehow this sort of weird and wonderful f- frenzy of of experiences Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. 
Uh, should we hear from the silver medalist again, Fernando Gonzalez? We have we have dealt with his indiscretion, so uh, let's deal with well his his second his second Olympic medal. Of course, he won bronze in in Athens, and he ended up playing the gold medal match against Rafael Nadal in Beijing. Here he is. Rafa was number one in the world. The next day, you know, um, uh, of course, my goal was to get one medal. Always, uh, if it's called, is much better. Uh, I played a good match. Rafa wasn't the best moment in that time. Uh, I wasn't really, really happy, but I was, you know, I get a medal. I mean, uh, for Chile, uh, after that, uh, we have in the history, we have 13 medals. And I have three, you know. And for me, that's just really big. Of course, I wish to, to get the gold one, but but my opponent that day was really tough for me. And and uh, I was like, uh, when I realized that I get another medal, it was okay, good. I mean, before to get to the podium, I was a little bit sad to lose the match. But I say, listen, I have to enjoy this moment because maybe it's going to be my last time that I can be in a podium. And it was my last time, and it was my last Olympics. So it's a great memories, of course, for me. And, and unfortunately for my country, that was the last medal that we get. 23% of all of Chile's Olympic medals won by Fernando Gonzalez. It's a pretty good guy. I'd have that it? on my gravestone um, if I were him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was... Look, it was it's a difficult subject to talk to him about the one with James Blake, but it was a it was a lovely conversation in general general and his love for the event just shines through, as does his love for his country. And I it's that element of it I, I, I absolutely adore that, particularly from Masu as well and the way he was talking in the previous edition, the uncompromising love he has for his nation that nothing will get in the way of him representing Chile and that is the most important thing and there's a number of nations like that that we see and um, and players representing their countries and I, I absolutely love it. Yeah and as much as we might have criticised him for his handling of that semi-final incident I mean I loved watching Gonzalez in that period he was he was an electrifying force on a tennis court with his forehand. And, you know, you think he's got a medal of each colour. As you said, it kind of feels perfect because he does have such strength of feeling and love for his nation and competing for his nation. And obviously his Australian Open final run lives long in the memory. And, yeah, he's he was the kind of guy who I would go out of my way to watch Fernando Gonzalez. Imagine having a whole set of Olympic medals. mm you could, Plus he l- you he could, liked you could recreate <laughs> podium situations in your in your living room. <laughs> you you could hang on. You could you could host like mini Olympics and give out award medals. <laughs> Even just like playing board games. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everything, every competitive thing you do in your life, you could host <laughs> a medal ceremony afterwards for the competitors. Catherine just bringing her medals to Sports Day for her yeah, godchild. Imagine, God, that's almost better than having like three golds. Yeah, I was just thinking that. I like the idea of having a full set. 
I wish I'd thought to ask him about the uh, the the half forehand half smash that he hit point blank range into the stomach of Radek Stepanek <laughs> uh, deliberately with no apology afterwards. I wish I'd asked him about that. Call him back. I've watched that on a loop. <laughs> <laughs> I quite, I quite like. I'm one of the people who quite likes Radek Stepanek, um, but my word, does he irritate some of the other players? <laughs> the only player, the only player person that I knew who liked that post of Gonzalez skewering Radek Stepanek was Andy Murray. Players felt like Stepanek was fair game, didn't they? With things like that, because he dished so much of it out. I think, and so does Stepanek. He didn't yeah. care. He's like, yeah, I, bring, I deserve bring it. it bring it on anyway, because I'm coming. Yeah. yeah, I like it when they own it like that. I've yeah. got respect for that. I think that is a wrap on the Beijing 2008 Olympics, which means that we're approaching we're approaching what I consider fever pitch for myself, <laughs> which is the London 2012 Olympics. Now, I managed to wait till about three weeks into full lockdown before I got out my London 2012 DVDs. And <laughs> in fact, uh, because the the fancy tv that i've got now actually doesn't work with the dvd player because who watches dvds anymore i actually had to set up a second tv <laughs> in my lounge to be able to re-watch the, <laughs> the olympics and it's still there i've got a double tv set up it's waiting for the rio 2016 uh, olympic box set which i also bought from amazon in a in a weak moment uh, but yeah i'm gonna be all over london 2012 because i have <laughs> relived it uh, including the opening ceremony very very recently it's tinged with a bit of sadness for me because god if i could go back and relive moment to moment those two weeks i i would i would it mm. would and, and how's so well, maybe I should save this, but how far away we seem from that from that country now always mm. makes me a bit sad yeah. watching 2012. Yeah, me too. It's like it's like a you know, before and after pictures in reverse. <laughs> yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So we'll be returning to a simpler time uh on our next episode. So join us for that. It's been it's been fun reliving 2008, hasn't it? We've snuck some some aggro in. Agro yeah. relived. Um, <laughs> There's a show. Yeah, write uh, <laughs> that one. That down. could be a new T-shirt as well. Uh, so yeah, join us for more fun uh, for Olympics 2012 relived tomorrow. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.